0: Good morning, everybody. Hey, if I didn't introduce myself yet, I'm Clayton, the pastor here at Central. And I'm so glad to see all of you guys here with us. And I see a lot of new faces, and I'm pumped that you're here um, with us today. Hey, if you'd like to follow along with today's message, you can just scan that QR code right now. If you want to, it's up on the screen, and uh, you can follow along. You can have all the notes and just be able to know everywhere we're going um, with today's message. But we are starting a brand new series. You just saw the intro video about it, and we're calling it the Micah Manifesto. So what in the world is a manifesto? It sounds really cool, but a manifesto is just a declaration of your values and your beliefs and how you're going to actually live those out, your plan for that. And so we have some famous declarations, some famous manifestos, like the Declaration of Independence, right? We we all know that, it's part of who we are, and it's a declaration of our country, of our values and our beliefs and what we're going to stand for. And we say things like we hold these truths to be self-evident. Or you think about Martin Luther King, when he got up on stage and said, I have a dream. And we remember that, we remember watching that that video, and we know what he was all about. I think about JFK, when he got up on stage and in front of everybody and said, hey, we're going to go to the moon. And that was a big deal back then. It was a, a space race between us and Russia. And that defined who we are as a country for about an entire decade. Manifestos are important. I was thinking about this, what about us? Do we have manifestos that are things that kind of define who we are? I mean, the best way you can tell is just drive down the road and look at the back of people's cars, okay? So they got stickers on the back of their cars. It's like a, a miniature manifesto saying, this is what I'm all about. So if you got an OU sticker on there or an OSU sticker on there, that's saying, this is the team I root for. This is the kind of people that I hang around with. This is who I am. Or if you see families that have all the little stick figures, you know, um, lined up in the car. Anybody have one of those? Anybody? Somebody? Okay. So what is that saying? It's saying this is what I'm all about. This is who I am. I was thinking about our houses. We have, we have them in our houses as well. How many of you guys have the, the as for me in my house, we will serve the Lord? Anybody have that in your house? So when you walk in, you know that that is what you're all about. How many of you guys have the live, laugh, love? Anybody? Okay. So the reason you have that is because that is defining what your family is all about. Saying this is who we are. And throughout the Bible, there are many manifestos that say this is who we are. I think about like John 3.16. Okay? I think about the Great Commission. I think about the greatest commandment that Jesus gave to love God and love people. And throughout the Bible, these are these incredible manifestos. Well, today we're going to go into the Old Testament and look at a manifesto from the book of Micah. So you have your Bibles, you can open up there. And we're gonna start in in chapter six, but you can go ahead and and, uh, open up your Bibles. Uh, Micah is one of the minor prophets. It's towards the end of the Old Testament. So if you're trying to figure out where that is, just go in there and uh, let me kind of give you a little background about about Micah. So Micah is around the same time as the, the major prophet, Isaiah. And so God's people were rebelling against him. I mean, just open rebellion against God. And God was not pleased about that. And so he sends Micah to speak on his behalf. And Micah shows up and says, guys, look, this is bad. In fact, it's so bad that there's going to be a a future um, taking over of the country by the Assyrians and then by the Babylonians. And the people were not happy about that. I mean, just just flat out, they were not happy about that. And in fact, they they were so mad that they began to blame God for the situation that they were in. They're saying, you know what? This isn't our fault. Why are you doing this to us? And they were just complaining. And then chapter 6 happens. So chapter 6, all of a sudden we find ourselves in this like imaginary courtroom, okay? And God puts his people on trial, okay? It's like, okay, I'm gonna put you on trial. I'm gonna make you give an answer for the accusations that you have about me because they were accusing God of things that God's saying, I'm not doing those things. And so look what happens starting in verse three. God says, my people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? He says, look, you gotta answer me you got you to gotta give an answer for why of things, all the, the complaining that you're doing. Because they were complaining about the treatment that God um, had for, had, was supposedly giving them. And we do that sometimes too, don't we? I mean, we, we complain and we say, that's not fair. fair, right? We say, that's not fair. And we say that as little kids when we're talking about relationships with people and things we're doing as, as young people. But also we do the same thing with God. We say, that's not fair. God, why has that happened to me? I didn't deserve it. And that's what those people were doing. So God says, let me, let me answer you this way. Let me remind you of the things that I have done for you. And so the very next verse, in verse 4, here's what he says. He says, let me, let me remind you. Let me give you a little history lesson. Hey, I brought you out of Egypt. And I redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you and also Aaron and Miriam. He's saying, hey, don't you remember all the things that I've done for you in, in, the, in Egypt and, and getting out of that and coming out of, out of slavery after you've been a slave for 400 years? I mean, don't, you, don't forget what I've done for you. And then he goes on to describe some other situations in verse 5. My people remember what Balak, king of Moab, plotted and what Balaam, son of Baor, answered. He says, hey, now you might not understand what that was all about, but those people did. Back then when, when Micah said that on God's behalf, they're like, oh yeah, we totally understand what you're talking about. Because... What was happening, God was pretty much saying, hey, I am not a God who curses you. I'm a God who blesses you. And that's what that story was all about. So God was was showing them by example. Hey, I'm a God that blesses. It's not my my job. It's not who who I am to curse people. I want to bless you. And then he goes and says one more story. He says, remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. You're like, I have no idea where those places are. Here's the deal. They were along the Jordan River. And the people crossed the Jordan River in between those two places. And so those were landmarks. And every Israelite knew those landmarks. He says, don't forget what I've done for you. I brought you from slavery, from wandering in the desert, and I helped you cross over the Jordan into the promised land. And here's what happened to the people. They realized that they were wrong. And they said, oh, man. Whoops. We messed up. We messed up big time. Have you ever done that? Where you maybe accuse God of something, of treating you poorly, and then you recognize and remember all the things that he's done for you, all the times that he has protected you, all the times he has has taken care of you, all the times he's been there for you when no one else was, and you realize, okay, I'm wrong. I shouldn't have been that way. And that's what happened to the, to the Israelites. They recognize, okay, we are wrong. And so what happens is Micah speaks on their behalf. He speaks on their behalf because their attitudes had changed. When they realized that they, had been, they were wrong, they said, okay, we, we, we need to fix what, what's going on. Look what happens in verse 6. So Micah speaks on behalf of the people, says, um, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? He says, man, how... Pretty much here's what they're saying. How can I repay God? Like, what can I bring to God to repay him for all the things that he has done? I am sorry, I'm repentant. God, what can I do to fix this situation? How can I repay you? How can I make it right? And then Micah continues in this conversation and here's what he says on behalf of the people. It's crazy. He says this, okay, hey, shall I come with burnt offerings? With With calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Shall, can, I, can, I do the, can I do those things? Shall I do those things? I mean, what, what it is, it's these... These levels of offering, okay? So a burnt offering was like a simple form of offering that you could do. And he's saying, hey, how about like a, a calf that's your year old, which kind of hurt a little bit, because that's, you know, part of, of uh, you're, you're raising up livestock to provide for your family, and you had to do that as an offering in the Old Testament. And he's saying, how about even a thousand rams? That's a lot. It's a lot of, of livestock. And then it just gets a little crazy, and you realize... Just how exagger- how much of exaggeration that Micah has going on here when he says ten thousand rivers of oil it doesn't say ten thousand jars of oil or oil he's talking about ten thousand flowing rivers of oil he's saying can any of those things repay God if I gave them to God as an offering and then he goes even further and says what if I gave my firstborn son my firstborn child kind of reminds you of what God did for us right giving His firstborn son Jesus as an offering. It's a sacrifice on our behalf. He's saying, can I I do those things? Will that make it right with God? And God says, I don't want your sacrifices. I don't want those things. Those things will not satisfy me. He says, I want something else. He says, I want action. He says, for my people, I'm calling them to action. When they realize where they're wrong, when they realize how they need to live, They need to move into action and not just pay me back through offerings. And here's what he does. Verse 8, he gives us a manifesto. He says, hey, here's how you're actually supposed to live. And this is the manifesto for the people, and it's the manifesto for our lives as well. And you guys have probably heard this before. He has shown you, oh, mortal or oh, man, what is good, how you're supposed to act, what you're supposed to do in a way to repay God. He says this. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. That's what God calls us to do. And in this passage, just one verse, the spirit of the entire Old Testament is shrunk down into three principles. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. In fact, it sounds a whole lot like what Jesus said when he talked about the greatest commandment, to love God and love people, right? All that boils down to this, this is what God calls us to do. So this is my manifesto, this is your manifesto, and so how are we actually supposed to live those things out? Let's figure out what God is calling us to do. Today we're going to look at one thing, the act justly part. He calls us to act justly. Justly. So simply put, God wants us to be like him because God is a just God. Psalm 97.2 says that righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Say, so this is what God is all about. The foundation of who he is is righteousness and justice. God loves justice. In fact, Psalm 99 goes on and says this, the king is mighty. He loves it. He loves justice. You've established equity in Jacob. You have done what is just and Right. Here's what these two verses are saying, saying that God takes his entire goodness and his power, his absolute might and his absolute right, and he combines them together, and that's why we love him. That's why we worship him. That's why we follow him, because he is all good and he is all powerful. So what is justice? Well, justice is just simply this. It's, it's trying to restore something, okay? Okay. It's a restoration of a a relationship by promoting equity and harmony. Or even simpler than that, it's just making things right. God says, this is what you should be about. If you're a believer in me, if you're a follower of me, you you should try to make things right in your culture, in your relationships, in the things that you are about. Your sphere of influence, you should try to make things right. So how can we do that? Well, practically, we can do a few things. We'll look at three things real quick today. First, we can act justly by treating people fairly. And that's, that's a simple answer right there, but that's exactly what was happening back then. If you go back to chapter three of Micah, you see um, these crazy examples of the people not following God and actually going even further than that, and they were treating people really poorly. In fact, the leaders were the worst ones. So Micah chapter three begins to talk about these, these priests and these prophets and now they had gotten themselves caught up in some things that they were just flat out greedy. They were trying to do everything they can to gain things for themselves and use their position and their, their leadership to, to extort people. And so the Bible says that they were, they were involved in bribes. They were involved in shakedowns. They were involved in manipulation and corruption. These are like the pastors of the day. And Micah calls them out and says, how dare you use your position like that to use other people? And to hurt other people for your own good. They were treating people poorly. And if we aren't careful, we can do the same thing. And the way, way it works for us is this. If you ever, if you're deep down sad, ask yourself this question, before I'm willing to love someone or serve someone, what's in it for me? You know? Like deep down side, if I'm gonna give, I'm gonna serve someone, if I'm gonna sacrifice in some way, if I'm gonna take time out of my busy schedule, like what is, what's in it? Me. What we're doing is we're just playing favorites, where the favorite person in your life is is you, right? The favorite person is me, myself, and I. We play favorites all the time. How many guys, when you were uh, growing up in in school, that you had a teacher or a coach that played favorites? Anybody? If you don't have one, then you probably were the favorite, okay? And you just didn't realize it that you're like, hey, this is awesome. The, The coach loves me, okay? When we, have someone, when we see someone in authority over us and they, they play favorites with everybody else, how does it make us feel? What we say is, that's not right. That is not just. Look what James chapter two says for us. My brothers and sisters, or believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, all of us must not show favoritism. It says, hey, all you Christians in the room, you should not show favoritism. And he gives an example. It says, Suppose a man, he comes into your, your meeting wearing a, a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. So the scenario is in this church, some famous person comes in. They get an entourage, they're wearing really nice clothes. You're like, This is someone really important. And me as a pastor, I'm like, Ooh, I recognize the person. I'm going to stop the service. Hey, I got this spot right down here for you. It's going to be perfect. It's going to be awesome. Hey, make sure camera. Cameras, make sure you guys get a good shot of them so it's a live stream so people know about it, okay? We want to to recognize these people are here, like dignitaries, these important people. And then a poor person comes in who can give us nothing, and we turn them away and say, hey, I need you to go sit in the back, or I need you to go actually out in the hallway. It'll be streamed out there. It'll be fine. Just as long as no one, you know, sees you. We got a spot for you. And that's what James is saying. He's using that example, and he goes on and kind of describes it. He says, if you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you. To say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Simply put, God calls all of us to treat people fairly, no matter who they are. No matter who they are. Second thing, we can act justly by using our platforms for a purpose using our platforms for a purpose. Almost everybody in this room knows Tim Tebow, right? Heisman Trophy winner, national championship winner in college, goes on to plays in the NFL, he's a commentator for sports, and he has a huge audience and a, and a massive platform. And I don't know about you, but I look at our culture, and there are so many people that we look up to, that we follow on social media who are famous and have massive platforms, and they use those platforms for their own purposes. For themselves. It's all about them and how they can make themselves look better and gain more, regardless of what happens to other people. So we follow those people, we devote ourselves to those people, and those people don't care about us at all. At all. And every once in a while, there are believers in Christ who get a large platform and have an opportunity to use it, not for themselves, but for him and for other people. That's what Tim Tebow has done. He's created this foundation called the Tim Tebow Foundation. Original name, thanks. Um, but he has, he's done, they do a lot of amazing things. And one of the things they do, I don't know if you heard about this, but they have this thing called Night to Shine. And some of you guys might have heard about this, but, but they have created a, uh, a virtual and in-person prom type event. They do it every, uh, every year in February, the Friday before Valentine's Day. And they do it all over the world. And this past year, they did it for over 100,000 people from South Africa to um, all over, to the United States and, and everywhere in between. And they, they have this um, special moment for people um, who are specifically, who have Down syndrome, um, who have mental and physical disabilities. And they throw this massive party for them. You go online, you can watch it. It's it's amazing. All the ladies dress up in in their beautiful dresses. All the guys have tuxes on. And they they have a dance. They have a party. And parents crown every single kid as prom king and prom queen. And it is just a fabulous time. They, They rent limos and they have parades all over the world. It is amazing. It is incredible. And Tim Tebow says this is what we are all about. Using our platform for a purpose. And here's what he says on his website. He says this. The Christian faith is about loving Jesus and loving people. And that is what we are trying to do with this foundation. Our goal is to let people know that God loves them and that they are worthy. That's the purpose that he has. What he's doing is he's giving a voice to the voiceless. And God calls us to do the same thing. Proverbs 31 says this. Speak up. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Every single one of us has a platform. Maybe a large platform, maybe a very small platform, but every single one of us has a platform. And the question that you must ask yourself and answer for yourself is, what are you gonna do with it? How will you use it or who is it for? The Bible talks about this over and over again. James chapter two, here's what the Bible says. What good is it, my brothers and sisters? If someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save them? Suppose a brother and a sister or a sister is without clothes and daily food. Go on to the next verse. If one of you says to them, "Go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs." what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead." Here's what he's saying: Every single one of us have a platform, whether it's a financial platform, whether it's a relational platform, whether um, it is the gifts we have, the positions we have, the abilities that we have, every single one of us has a platform. And the question is, how are you going to use it? Are you going to use it for yourself or are you going to use it for other people? And here's the deal. When you use it for yourself, here's what he says. He says that your faith is meaningless. And what what I think he's kind of getting at is that you end up being a bitter person. Anybody know any bitter Christians? (laughs) Always complaining about stuff, always mad at everything. Why is that? I think deep down inside is because it's all about them, right? We all know some bitter Christians, but you know what? I've never met a serving Christian who was bitter. I don't. I don't find those people. Because when people take the gifts they've been given and the resources they've been given, and they use that platform for other people, then they find joy. They find the reason why they're here. And the reason God has blessed them in different ways. That's what, it, that's what it looks like to use your platform for a purpose. But here's what happens a lot of times. Like in this example, when he says, go in peace, keep warm and well fed. I mean, I think, think about it this way. It's almost like we do this a lot. We, we, we see someone's need, you know, and we pray for them. And we, go to, we go to God and say, God, I pray that you would help that, That single mom who has all those kids and is really struggling to to make ends meet, I pray, God, that you would help um, that that lost person who really needs to hear about Jesus. God, I pray that you would help that that family who has lost everything in that tragedy. And we say, um, Jesus' name I pray, amen, and then we go about our lives. And what James is saying is saying that you pray those prayers, and then you go and do something about it. And that's the difference here. Instead of just using your platform to pray about it, use your platform to pray. And if you have the ability and you have the means and you have the platform to do something about it, then you go and do something about it. 1 John 3.18 says, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. God says, use your platform for a purpose. That's how you can act justly in people's lives. And third thing is this. Act justly by cutting the strings. Here's what I mean by that. I think it's all time we check our motives for why we do the things that we do. I think deep down inside, ask yourself this are you serving, giving, helping out because you actually love people or because you have ulterior motives? It's why we hate politicians, (laughs) right? I mean, think about it. The reason the majority of us, the reason our country is upside down is because we look at politicians in places of position and authority, and they're supposed to be serving the people, but we think deep down inside that they have ulterior motives, don't we? So no matter what good they do, they're like, well, why'd they really do that? How are they, how are they gaining you know, something from that? What's in it for them? When 9-11 happened, They did a survey and 84% of our country said, you know what, we trust our government because we believe they're doing what is good and right for the right reasons. Now it's 18%. It went from 84% in 20 years down to 18%. Why? Because we don't trust them. We think that they have a different agenda. And the question for us is, do you actually have a different agenda or can you cut the strings? Look at Luke chapter 14 says Jesus is, in, this, is in, this, uh, in the middle of this dinner, okay? And it starts out and says he noticed something going on, right? He, he shows up to this meal and there are these, there are these people um, all gathered around at someone's house. And it says this, when he noticed how the guests uh, picked the places of honor at the table, he stepped in and did something about it. And he goes on and tells this, this parable in the middle of it. Um, but what was happening was is in that culture, when you had a, a large banquet table, a party, um, you would have place settings kind of like that for people, okay? And if you walked in as a guest and you were sitting to the right of the, the person in charge, the person whose house it was, who was throwing the party, then that was the most important place you could be in, was the place of honor. That's why the Bible over and over again says that, that Jesus is going to sit at the right hand of the Father, okay? Because he's saying we are equals, and so if you got to sit next to, to the, the, the host, then you were the guest of honor. And so what was happening is people showed up early, I guess, and they were, they were like switching the nameplates around, you know. They're like, I want to sit next to this, uh, this person. I'm moving things around. Jesus recognized this and says, hey, I need to speak into this. And so he tells this parable, and then he tells something specifically to the host in verse 12. He says, then Jesus said to the host, hey, man, look, when you give a luncheon or dinner, Hey don't don't invite your friends or your brothers or sisters or your relatives or your rich neighbors because if you do they may invite you back and so you will be repaid what he's saying is hey look i'm not saying don't ever invite those people but don't let that be the purpose for what you're doing don't let that that party be for the purpose of you trying to gain something from someone else Hey, I'm throwing this amazing party. I'm going to put you um, in this place of honor. But hey, don't forget about me, you know, when I need help. You know, that kind of thing. Those, Those are strings attached to that relationship. Jesus says, don't do that. He says, instead, do this. When you give a banquet, invite the poor. Invite the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. And although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. He's saying, serve others, love people. Provide for people, take care of people without strings attached. Look, guys, living a godly, godless life um, and then putting offerings out there for God to try to fix that relationship is not what God wants. 1,000 rams isn't gonna take care of it. 10,000 rivers of oil is not gonna take care of it. Your firstborn child is not going to take care of it. That is not what pleases God. What pleases God. What pleases God is a changed heart. It's a changed heart. That's what Micah is all about. Honestly, we we believe Jesus changes everything. That's our motto here. It's our vision here. That God is changing things. The question is, is He's changing your heart. And the second part of that question is, are you doing something about it? How many guys like to play cards? Okay. It's okay. You can say you like play cards. I love playing cards. I'm super competitive. If you're playing cards with me, I'm sorry. I love you, but I'm going to try to win, right? And my, my family's back there. My mother-in-law, like, we just go at it when we're playing cards. Um, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. So I just can't help it. I, and uh, it's, I'm working on it, okay? But have you ever played cards, and that person next to you has always just dealt a bad hand? You know? You just feel sorry for them. And you're sitting over there with aces all the time. You're like, man, this is great. But after a while, you feel sorry for them. You know, so sometimes if you have empathy for that person, what do you do? You cheat, okay. <laughs> you, you're like, hey, can I help you out? Or like, I'm going to discard a card that you can use, you know. Or let me, let me slip a card under the table and no one's watching, okay. Never done that. Whatever. Okay, sorry. I apologize. I have. Um, I confess I have. Right? You're trying to help someone out, you know. You're trying to help someone out. And that's kind of like it is for a lot of us, that we are sitting here with aces, God has blessed us so much. And you know what? There's some people, no fault of their own, they've been dealt a bad hand in life. But God still loves them and wants to bless them. And he wants to fix what is broken. And he calls us to do it by acting justly. How can you use the hand that God has given you to be Jesus' hands and feet and love people? What can you do? Specifically, how can you do that this week? Here's an exercise you can do. Take stock of your platform. Take a step back and go, okay, let me think about the ways God has blessed me. The relationships I have, the gifts I have, the opportunities that I have, the resources that I have, the influence that I have. Okay, God it's not just about me, okay, I realize that. So what am I supposed to do about it? Should I just give you a bunch of offerings in my life? No, God doesn't say that. He says, I want you to move into action. So the way you move into action is you take stock of your platform and then you lift up your eyes and you begin to see the people that are all around you. And then you do something about it. When you go to the grocery store and you see that single mom with all those kids running around and you're like, oh, I'm glad that's not me, you know? Or you you walk past them and you say a prayer. God, you know, I pray you bless them or whatever. What if God's saying, I am going to bless them through you, through you. And then we would be people who respond and say, okay, I'm going to do that. You know what happens? That's us living out this Micah manifesto saying, God, I want to be your hands and feet. Help me to act justly to fix what is broken in relationships and in our culture for his glory things will change if we all do that let's pray god love you for who you are (laughs) i love you god that you show us what justice is that you love those who've been dealt a, a difficult hand and some of us in this room we have been dealt a difficult hand and yet We see how faithful you've been. We've seen how you've been faithful through other people blessing us. And God, I pray that in turn, we would do the same thing. Help us, God, to use our platform, not for our own purposes, but for other people. Help us, God, to be like you. To love those who are hurting. To recognize where we can step in and do something about it. may we be, God, a church like the book of James, that we don't just have faith, we don't just have head knowledge, we don't just come here and worship and then leave and nothing changes. But God, instead, we would be people who come in and do those things and have a deep love for you, but then go out and actually take care of people and show the depth of our faith through our actions. God, you've called all of us to do that in different ways. We all have different abilities, we all have different platforms, but God, every single one of us is called to action. May that be the manifesto of our lives, God. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with you, God. We pray in Jesus' name.